Good morning, Foothill Church. Today's scripture is found in Exodus 16, 22 through 36. Please stand for the word of the Lord. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none." On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the 10th part of an ephah. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. Uh, if I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, and uh, Covenant Partners, um, I hope you're here and we're going to have a lunch after as well. How many of you know the name uh, Ariana Huffington? You maybe have heard of Huffington Post. Uh, she is a, a woman who's been incredibly successful in kind of a dying industry. Uh, she, as she started the paper or started the news uh, agency, things were going really, really well for her. She tells a story in her book Thrive uh, that uh, she was she was working like she had never worked before, up late nights. I mean, kind of burning the candle at both ends. And she describes a time when she she was so utterly exhausted that she collapsed in her office, banged her head on an office table and woke up in a pool of blood and realized something's got to change, right? She writes this in, in her book. She says, I was not living a successful life by any sane definition of success. I knew something had to radically change. I couldn't go on that way. And so what she did is she set on a journey where what she started to do was bring in rhythms of rest and sleep into her life. Um, There was a study done several years ago on uh, children in the UK that tried to determine how do how do we get children to to rest, and they discovered surprisingly that kids learn to rest in the same way that they learn to walk and run and read. It just takes practice. Like they actually have to practice. They have to commit to it and say, your mom and dad have to make sure that you have the practice of sleep to learn how to sleep. 
Uh, some of you have read uh, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you haven't, the, the title of that actually comes from a story I heard years ago from Pastor John Ortberg, uh, where he described a time when he was also going through sort of an Ariana Huffington moment of, of just burning out, doing all, trying to, you know, way more committed than he should be and working, you know, way more hours than he should work. And he was harried and stressed out and full of anxiety and depressed. And he called a mentor friend of his and said, man, help me with this. And he described what was going on. And finally, his friend is just quiet on the other end of the line. And Ortberg stops and goes, okay, I got my paper and my pencil. Now go. And the guy says to him, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And apparently Ortberg was like, okay, got it. What's next? John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Today, we, we're, we're in Exodus 16, and you see that God gives the people rest. He tells them to do this. Now, remember where we are. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's taking them through the wilderness. In fact, that's going to last, as you just learned, 40 years. They don't know this at the time, but that's going to go on for 40 more years. They're wandering through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. What's going on? What is God doing leaving them out in the wilderness this long? Clement of Rome, one of the church fathers, uh, describes it this way. He says, Moses, by the command of God, whose providence is over all, led the people through long windings of the wilderness, that by the discipline of 40 years, look at this, the novelty of a changed manner of life might root out the evils which had clung to them by a long-continued familiarity with the customs of Egypt, uh, of the Egyptians. So what's happening? In other words, the wilderness is all about sanctification. It is all about holiness. It is all about God doing things in their life and our lives, right? We said this is a story of salvation that God puts us into these moments to grow us, maybe like we've never grown before, to help these sins fall from us, to be sort of slowly molded, chipped, shaved into the image of God through the abrasiveness, if you might say, of the wilderness experience, of the trials that we go through. This is what God is up to. And this is what's going on in this, in this section, right? So, so we learn in James, we, we turn to the New Testament and James tells us that testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Then he says, and let steadfastness have its, have its perfect work. Like let it go to completion so that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing. This is what God is trying to do. Now what happens when God puts us into those moments of wilderness? Like the Israelites, very often we grumble, we complain. Now why do we complain? Because God isn't living up to our expectations. Because we actually think that life should be easier than it is. Now, that's not God's fault. That's not the Bible's fault. That's not Jesus' fault. Nobody ever sold you a bill of goods in the Bible. You open it up and Jesus is going to say, in this world, you will have trouble. There will be problems. They hated me. They're going to hate you. There's going to be trials and temptations and struggles. That's the Christian life. But God in his great mercy, as we pointed out last week, in the midst of all this grumbling of Israel says, I'm gonna be gracious to you, abundantly gracious. And so what does he do? He, he says, what we read last week, he rains down bread from heaven. Just 
just rains it on them. Like, I'm going to give you this abundance of bread, this thing called manna, this coriander-like seed, whatever, that lies on the ground, this miraculous provision of God to provide for all their needs. He gave them water the week before. And now today, he gives them rest. And this is fascinating. So let's walk through this passage together. Flop your Bible open or keep your Bible app open because we're going to refer to it several times. And let's just look at this. First thing I want you to see is the command to rest. The command to rest. Look at verse uh, 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers of each. And when they, the leaders of the uh, congregation, when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now remember who we're talking about. We've got to keep this in mind. Israel, they were slave people. They had just maybe a few weeks out of slavery. It's all they've ever known. They have worked night and day, every single day, without break. There was no, every day, you know, melded into one. There was no holidays. There was no weekends. There was no days off. None of that. No PTO, no sick time. It was just work, 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 work. Slavery, slavery, slavery. And to these people, he gives water, food, and finally rest. Isn't that interesting, by the way, that God in this, these, this, just this, these two chapters, you need water to live. You need food to live. You need rest to live. You need rest. Do you know this? That rest is one of the basic necessities of life. And God says, will you trust me? You trusted me for those. Will you trust me that you actually need this? Um, and notice verse 22, it says he gave them a double portion of manna on that day. So they walk outside and they're like, wait, this is a lot more than we recall any other day. And so they start gathering up. And apparently they're so surprised, they go and report this to Moses. Hey, Moses, like uh, normally we'd all have one jug, you know, uh, a quart each basically. And today we've all got two, but we've seen how that's worked out in the past. And it's, you know, it's got worms and it stank. So, so what's up? And Moses is like, I know, I know. Isn't that awesome? It's like, do you know what God is doing? God, God knows this and he did this on purpose and he wants you to collect all that because God wants to give you rest. I mean, how, how, how must have this fallen on the ears of slave people? You, you've come out from under this cruel master, Pharaoh, and you've come now to serve God and this God wants to give you a Sabbath. Sabbath literally just means stop, cease, rest. Shabbat, you've probably heard this. They say, you know, in, in Israel, even to this day. And by the way, this is utterly unique in the ancient, ancient Near Eastern world. There was, there's literally archaeologists, uh, uh, theologians, know not, they don't know of one other civilization in the ancient Near Eastern world that had this rhythm of rest, of weekly rest. And this is one of the things, by the way, that you're going to see, and we're going to study this more when we get to chapter 20 and get to the Ten Commandments when we really talk about the law of the Sabbath. This is one of the things you're going to see is how this is one of those things that God was saying, I want people, I want this to set you apart. This is how you're so different. That one of the things people are going to actually see is you resting. So there's a storm coming and there's crops in the ground and it's Sunday, let's say, and you're like, I'm resting there. People are like, are you crazy? How can you do this? 
because we trust God. That's the idea. That's how you would set them apart in people's eyes, in God's eyes. And so he gives them this, uh, this Sabbath. But remember, it's a test. We learned in chapter 16, he says, I'm going to test the people to see whether or not they'll actually believe. Will they really believe that they don't have to work? Will they really believe that I'll provide water? Will they really believe I'll provide manna? I'm testing them and seeing if this will happen. We find out, no, they don't. Some don't. They, 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 they think they don't need to rest or that God won't keep his promises. I used to believe that um, I think just sort of practically rest was rest. I don't rest well, I don't sleep well, but whatever, that's another story. But, but here's the thing, I, I kind of never attached any real theological significance to that. And I don't think that way anymore. Your rest habits, your sleep habits are deeply theological and preach a really profound message. Think about, think about what it says. If you're somebody that's like, I don't need rest. I can keep going. I can burn the candle at both ends. I'm gonna, I, I, what are you saying? Well, you're saying a lot of things. You're saying things like, I'm invincible, I'm omnipotent, I have no limits. You're, you're saying things like, I don't trust God to provide for me in six days what I could do for myself in seven days. I don't believe God. I believe I can neglect my body. I think I can burn this thing up. It doesn't matter. And my soul won't suffer. Like you are saying all kinds of things in the neglect of simple rest. And so God comes along and commands it. Now, now, by the way, when they disobey here in chapter 16, God's very gentle and gracious. You're gonna see when we get to chapter 20, he's not gonna be as kind. It's become a law by that point. Like it's literally written in stone kind of thing. But right now he goes, I'm talking to people weeks out of slavery and rest takes practice. And so I'm, I'm nudging them toward this, right? God graciously gives, God saying, I'm gonna give you one out of every seven days for you to, to worship, to just be with me, to just enjoy me. I'm going to reorient, you understand this? The rhythm of your life. I was talking to a guy this week whose life and his words were, is kind of out of control and, and stressed beyond belief and uh, things going on and, and, and feeling like spiritual attack and all kinds of things happening in this guy's life. And the more we talked, we started talking about rhythms, like, and one of the big rhythms, you've, you've heard the illustration, right? The, 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 the guy who's like, he's got the, these big rocks and smaller rocks in the sand, and, and he's like, you know, I, I got to put the big rocks in first, and then the gravel can go in and the sand on top of that. Like, what's the lesson? And somebody, I think, in the audience is like, oh, it means you always have time for more. And the guy's like, no, it means if I don't put the big rocks in first, it's an issue of priority. And so we talked about this and I'm like, do, do you have a day where you just unplug? No. No. Could it be? Could it be this simple? 
Like see, one of the things I want you to hear this morning is I think sometimes we overly complicate our spiritual lives. Well, in fact, one of the things God may just be saying to you is just go take a nap. Get a good night's rest. Rest. It's a command to rest. Let's keep going though, because the next thing you see is there's, there's a preparation. There's a preparing to rest. So look at, the, look at the next part of verse 23. I hope you're following along here. Look at, look at, he says this. It's a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you'll boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside to the morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. You know, what's happening here? Moses is saying, okay, here's what you've got to do. You've got to, God is, is, is going to give you a double portion on Saturday. He's going to be incredibly generous with you, but you've got to take that and now work with it, if you will. You now, God's giving you an opportunity. If you really want tomorrow to be a day of rest, then you have to prepare today for it. Do, do you see this? If you really want, let's use Sunday as Sabbath. Because I understand people like, hey, sometimes I don't have Sundays off, so I get Saturdays or Fridays or whatever. I get it. But, but for, for all of us, just sort of stay on the same page. Let's say it's Sunday. Do you understand that you will never have a Sunday Sabbath if you neglect your Saturday? You'll never be able to enjoy what God has for you on a Sunday if you decide it doesn't, I don't need to prepare. It is what it is, right? What, so what ends up happening? Some of you are like, I'm almost falling asleep right now because I was up till one in the morning watching a movie, right? Or whatever. Or we don't get our kids ready. Or we don't, we don't try to do some things. Maybe some of you could bake a casserole, I don't know, on a Saturday and have it ready so you pop it in the oven. Maybe some would go, you know what, I don't even want to have to work with that. So, so instead of going out on Monday and Tuesday, we're going to be really intentional and we're going to save our money so when it gets to Sunday afternoon, we can actually go out and we can rest and we can nap and we can enjoy the day that God has given us. Do you see what I'm saying? He says, go ahead, bake what you bake, boil what you boil. Get it ready. Get ready so that tomorrow, when it gets here, you're ready, you're prepared. How many of you are exhausted today because you ran ragged yesterday? And that's chronic for you. And so Sundays are never what God intended because you never prepare for it. See, Sunday's not going to be restful unless you think about it, give attention to it, are intentional about it on Saturday. We have to prepare for a Sabbath. Do you prepare? Okay? The third thing I want you to see is there's this refusal to rest. Look at first, keep going, in, um, uh, in verse 23, 24. Now look at Moses said, eat it today, verse 25. Today's a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you'll not find it in the field. Six days you'll shall gather it. But on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So again, prepare, get ready. There's gonna be none tomorrow. God's resting right along with you. But then look at verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, there's no, like, he's not bringing the hammer down yet. That's going to happen later. 
But right now, there's this refusal to obey. Now, probably these are the same people. If you were to back up to verse 20 in chapter 16, you'd find there's some people that on Monday and Tuesday were like, hey, I'm going to go gather more than I need. And God said, you know, the worms came in, it stank, all that. They, they, they got more than they, than they needed. But there's certain people that just go, I don't, I don't know. I don't take this seriously. I don't take God serious. I don't take him at his word. I, I, I think um, this isn't, this whole Sabbath and rest thing isn't a big deal. I can take matters into my own hand. I don't need to listen to what God says. Now, why do we struggle with the Sabbath? Because a lot of us do, if we're honest. Let, let, me, let me give you, I think, a, a couple of reasons. I think there's a group that's greedy. There's a group that goes, you know what, the reason I don't Sabbath is because, man, if I work a little harder, I can make a little more, I can get a little more, I can put more grain into the storehouse, you know, I can get more money into the bank, I can get ahead, all those kinds of things, right? And God's saying, can you be content with what I've given you so that you can rest? I mean, you all know the story of Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, they're closed on Sundays, That's a, that for them is a Sabbath thing. And I think we all know, I wish Chick-fil-A was open today because I'd be there, <laughs> right? They would be massively wealthy. And they've said no, right? We're content with what God's given us. Okay, but I think there's another group. And let me just say this. There's the greedy, you struggle with greed, but there's another group and you struggle with grace, because the grace of God is unbelievable, isn't it? Sometimes it's too hard to believe that God would actually say, stop striving. You don't have to work for this. I've saved you. I've set you free. Enjoy it. Because there's a voice inside of our head that goes, you're being lazy. I can't believe you would let the dishes stack up, the laundry keep piling. What kind of mom or dad are you? Because we struggle with this idea that we can rest and we can, here's what I love, you can rest with the blessing of God. Because most of us, right, most of us, even, even the most people that understand the grace of God, I don't know of anybody that doesn't struggle in one dimension or another with the grace of God. Because we, th we think that, how can this be possible that I don't have to work for this thing? H how is this, how does this even work? And so when it comes to things like the Sabbath, right, we think there's all these, okay, so then if I do it, then I've got to keep rules. Okay, I've read John Mark Comer's book and I've apparently got to do it this way and that way. I've got to follow some mystic pattern. We come up with all these rules. Hear me, hear me, stop, stop, stop. This is exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees when they criticized the disciples for picking grain on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And Jesus looks at them and goes, what? Like, like, the Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift for man, not man for the Sabbath. I did this. But we refuse to. And this leads me to the next thing. I want you to see the gift of rest. Do you see this in verse 29? See, like look, that word in some, trans, some of your translations, behold, 
It's a word that is literally supposed to shift perspective when we read this. Like, see this from a different angle. The, the, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. It's a gift. That's, that's the idea behind the word. He's given this to you. I know this blows your minds, the slave people who have never known anything but work, but it is a gift to be enjoyed, not a bunch of rules to be followed. Because God knows what we need, right? God knows we need water. God knows we need food. And God knows we need rest. Um, so, so several years ago, I realized the law of entropy was catching up with me. You know what I mean, some of you? Um, I was in my late 40s, and I'm like, I am huffing and puffing going upstairs. I cannot keep doing this. Uh, we had inadvertently bought, and I mean this seriously, inadvertently, well, it was my kid's fault, not mine. We have this little dog named Ruby that I wanted an auction, unbeknownst to me, <laughs> until they told me I won. But anyhow, I get Ruby. She's a little tiny dog, little stubby legs, and she's a puppy. So I'm like, oh, I'll take her for walks. So I take her for walks and the walk turns to a slow jog and the slow jog turns to, you know, running and then running turns into like, okay, I want to make sure I stay in shape and I'm, you know, now we go to a fitness center or whatever. I mean, so I, I, I want to be serious about this, but as I've listened to people who know way more about this than I do, they, they've basically taught me this, that, that the problem for most people who want to be in shape usually isn't a lack of motivation and it's usually not time. That's how most of us think. The problem is chronic injury. And the, and the reason is because if you want to be in shape, you're like, I got to work out and I got to do it every day and I can never stop. And if I ever stop, then I'm actually moving backward. I, I'm going to lose the gains that I've been given so I can never have a time of rest. I was talking to Jacob Singleton um, earlier today and he, he's a, a doctor of physical therapy and we were having this conversation. He said, here's what's crazy. It's counterintuitive. Most people believe that when they're lifting, you know, you're pumping weights, you're growing. He says, you're not. You're, you're not. you're not getting stronger. You're actually getting weaker in that moment. There's these little micro tears that are coming all over your body. That's why you feel pain. You go out and you go for a hard run. What happens? You put your lungs, you put your heart under stress. And you're not growing in that moment. But when you go to bed and you rest, then your body is saying, sort of your brain to your body, hey, let's not do that ever again. <laughs> let's send some muscle and blood and airflow over there so that we can accommodate that. You're growing while you rest. Do you know that? That's when you grow. Now, do you see the principle? Because most of us think I got to go, 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 go. I can never rest. I can never stop. I can never take a break. And I can't just do that in my own life. I can't do that before God. I've got to always be reading my Bible, always praying. I've got to always be doing this. I pursue, pursue, pursue. And we're exhausted. Because we never Take a break. I, I was reading something that, do you know that among elite athletes, I did not know this, sleep coaches are a thing. I don't know what you do on the sidelines when a person, I, 
sleep. Good job. Right. I, but but like uh, 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 apparently Roger Federer, the the world famous tennis player, uh, gets 12 hours of sleep per night. Usain Bolt is said to have, during his heyday, get between eight and 10 hours sleep. LeBron James apparently gets 12 to 14 hours per night. Tiger Woods, five hours. I wonder if that explains anything. <laughs> sleep, rest, right? But most of us think, nah, that's for weak people. I don't need it. Or I am, I am so bound up with nerves that I've got to. I'm, I have not practiced resting. So I fill my weekends with activity. I burn rubber Monday through Friday. Saturday gets here, man. We're out of the house. We're at tournament games. We're go, 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 go. And I wonder why we collapse into Monday. See, see God is doing this. This is what's like What's his point? I just want to be good to you. And I want you to see what salvation really is. Ultimately, it's resting in me. It's ceasing to strive. It's I've got this. I can do more with your six days than you can do with seven. Do you recognize that when you're one of these workaholic kind of I have to constantly be working and moving and never resting, you are not only dishonoring God, you are harming yourself. We need to settle in our minds that the Sabbath is a gift to enjoy. You need to hear me say out loud, if I'm standing here reading God's word over you as God's representative in this moment, you have God's permission to take a nap. You have God's permission to prop your feet up and relax for a day. That's the gift. But now, you gotta receive the gift. Look at verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. See, ultimately, you, you got to do something with this. Uh, we need to recapture this, I think. I think in our church, in the modern church, we need to recapture the, the whole concept of Sabbath, which we'll talk about more later. Like, because, because listen, we're coming out of COVID-19, and we all know this is the pandemic. We've heard that word a billion times over the last year. But before we ever got there, like, look, one of those weird benefits of COVID has been forced Sabbaths. Some of you were like, I was stuck. I couldn't do anything. I got out of rhythms of being so busy with my day. I couldn't stop. And I hope the Lord is whispering in your ears, never go back. Never go back. But, but listen, before that ever started, right? Anxiety, depression, all this was, was, was pandemic. It's everywhere now. Uh, listen to this. According to data from the National Health Interview Survey, I don't know what that is, but listen to this. Nearly 30% of adults average less than six hours of sleep per night, significantly under the recommended seven to eight. Only about 30% of high school students reported getting at least eight hours of sleep on an average night, though they need around 10 
In one national study, over 7% of people between 25 and 35 admitted to actually nodding off while driving in the past month. In 2013, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention declared insufficient sleep is a public health problem. You see this? Like, look, you may be this workaholic. You may be the one that thinks you don't need anything. But the thing is, you know you do because every day your body tells you, you realize you're not omnipotent because you have to go to sleep. You have to actually lay down and close your eyes once a day and it is God's forced means of daily reminding you that you are not invincible. That you need, desperately need rest. So let me just give you some questions to ask yourself, okay? There's six of them. Number one, ask yourself this. Do I believe God is actively at work in me and for me while I rest? Let, let me add something to this. So I've, I've started this habit just recently. So it's not like I've been doing this for decades. But I literally get up in the morning and my body, I just, I cannot sleep in. And I hate that. But my body wakes me up and I immediately, I'm one of these slow burn morning people. Like Michelle is like, hey, morning, right? And I'm like, you know. So I go in and I start the coffee pot and I get it going and then I grab my coffee and I sit down and I've started doing this thing. I set my timer for 10 minutes to sit there in total silence. And I have to remind myself. God is just at work in me right now than he is in 10 minutes when I pick up my Bible. Can you do that? It's hard. It's hard for like high achieving people. People who just feel like they have to go, go, go. Do, do I believe God is active? Number two, am I using Saturday to prepare for Sunday? I'm not gonna go back there, but you know what I'm saying? Like, or do you? Do you prepare at all? Number three, am I using Sunday to get ahead or to, to, uh, to take a break? You know what I'm talking about. Many of you, it's like, aha, I got a project due this week. I'm getting a start, right? I got emails to respond to. I've got stuff I got to do. I got to get this done. Listen to me. The Bible actually says, the, 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 the part of the, the outworking of the, the, the commandment on the Sabbath is that if there's an ox in the ditch on the Sabbath, the Bible says you can rescue it. But here's the problem. Some of you have an ox in the ditch every single Sabbath. You always have an excuse of why you can't rest. That'll be the exception, not the rule. Number four, is my life marked by God-given rhythms of rest or Pharaoh's demands for uninterrupted work? All right, do you understand you're just going back to Egypt? That legalistic part of you, that part that can't enjoy the grace of God is I have got to go, 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 go. You're just back in Egypt when God's saying, I'm giving you rest. Number five, am I taking time to practice resting in God and his gift to me? Are you? Do you take that, that 24 hours? And then finally, have I accepted the invitation of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you 
rest. That is the promise of Jesus. Rest, by the way, for your soul. The place where we need it the most. I'm gonna, I want to just end with this. Some of you know the name Tish Harrison Warren and some of you know her most popular book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. I want to just read a section out of a chapter. Wish I had time to read the whole chapter, but, but listen to this. This is in a chapter on sleep and rest. And so just, just, just take this in. We'll, we'll, you can follow along with me on the screen. She writes this, Soon after we were married, Jonathan and I took up the ancient practice of Sabbath keeping or observing the Lord's Day each Sunday. We were grad students at the time, so giving up our study hours on Sunday afternoons was a huge shift in schedule for us. But we began a routine which has now spanned over a decade of beginning Sunday by going to church and then coming home to nap to savor a long walk and have a slow night of pleasure reading or just hanging out together. It took me years to realize that our time of gathered worship on Sunday morning and our Sunday afternoon naps are interrelated. Rest is not simply a physical need. It is not only our brains and muscles and eyelids that must learn habits of rest. We need holistic rest, physical, psychological, and spiritual. Worship and bodily rest are wrapped together. We learn the rhythms of spiritual rest through worship. We learn that we are limited by our sin, our humanity, our moment in history. We need rituals and practice to teach us to receive God's grace and renewal. We need other believers, the church over 2,000 years, to help tutor us in Christian wholeness. We must take up the practices of resting in God and in his gifts to us. In Jewish culture, days begin in the evening with the setting of the sun. We see this in Genesis 1, the repetition, and there was evening and there was morning. The day begins with rest. We start by settling down and going to sleep. This understanding of time is powerfully reorienting, even jarring to those of us who measure our days by our own efforts and accomplishment. The Jewish day begins in seemingly accomplishing nothing at all. We begin by resting, drooling on our pillow, dropping into helplessness. Eugene Peter says, Peterson says, the Hebrew evening-morning sequence conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep and God begins his work. Though the day begins in darkness, God is still at work growing crops, healing wounds, giving rest, protecting, guarding, mending, redeeming. We drop out of consciousness, but the Holy Spirit remains at work. What if Christians were known as a countercultural community of the well-rested? People who embrace our limits with zest and even joy. As believers, we can relish rest not only as not only necessary, but as embodied response to the truth of Scripture. We are finite. We are creatures who are abundantly cared for by our strong and loving God. God wants to give us not just lives of holiness and prayer, but also of sufficient rest. And perhaps a key step toward a life of prayer and holiness is simply receiving the gift of a good night's sleep. What if your spiritual life really wasn't as complicated as you think it is? What if what you needed more than anything was a nap and a day off every week? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And on the last day, we're going to stand before Jesus 
And if I'm a follower of his, he's going to say, well done. Enter into the joy of my rest. My rest. Eternal Sabbath. From a hand of a good and gracious God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, you, you speak about eternal things. Things that seem so high and lofty at times and yet sometimes just the gift of rest to point us to eternal rest. To point us to that moment, that time when we will come to as believers in Jesus where someday we will enter into the joy of eternal rest with you. Striving over all the working that we work in order to gain your approval, God, it will turn to the work of worship, of joy, as we enjoy even the rest of labor. I pray, Lord, that Jesus, we would accept your invitation to come all who are weary. There are people in this room who are weary. They're weary with the circumstances of life. They're, they're weary with their schedules. They're weary with the demands of family and children and occupations and all the things that they have going. But you had promised that you would give us rest. And so we praise you. And I pray, Lord, we would take this to heart and we would become a community of the well-rested. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.